Hello and welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for this lesson in our series, Who I Am, where we'll be studying the book of John and where we see that John is writing these things to everyone so they might believe and that in believing they might have life. In this awesome book where John presents the Messiah Jesus as God, we'll see lots of key truths and great application that we can apply to our own life. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope that you enjoy this lesson. Turn your Bibles to John, John chapter 5. We're going to finish out John chapter 5 today, and then next week we're going to be doing our Jeopardy review. Jeopardy review next week, so get ready for it. Uh, Remember, you can use your notes for Jeopardy. So you can use your notes for Jeopardy. So John chapter 5, we're going to finish it out. Today we're looking at verses 31 all the way through 47. So 31 through the end of the chapter. And we're going to be looking at how Jesus is not a self-proclaimed Messiah. He is self-proclaimed in that He proclaimed Himself. But He's not the only one that proclaimed Him. We're going to look at some different witnesses uh, to Him being the Messiah. We're going to see several things. Uh, One is that we shouldn't be glory seekers like these guys that He's talking to. And then another thing is just remembering that um, Jesus isn't the only... It's not just Jesus' word that says He's the Messiah. There's a lot of other things that say He's the Messiah. That's important for us in our life. So on May 3rd, uh, 1982 in Norfolk, Virginia uh, in the circuit court there was a 29 year old named Ruffin okay? now it's a cool name I guess but his name's Ruffin and he got convicted of a crime uh, and he was sentenced to five life sentences in prison okay? which is basically forever right I mean he's going to be in there forever and he got sentenced on that and the case so- rested solely on the testimony of the victim and her name was and Meg, I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but uh, she was the only one that actually testified against him. But the jury decided that he was guilty, and he got five life sentences. 21 years later, DNA testing proved that he was innocent. And because there was only one witness, okay, we might say, well, why was he thrown into prison on the basis of one witness? This is the Old Testament. This is Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. It says... A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. So God had a law for the um, nation of Israel saying that if one person comes and accuses another person, there, there has to be multiple witnesses for that to actually be a conviction. Unlike what happened to Ruffin, okay, which he was convicted on, on one person's witness today, we're going to look at Jesus having multiple witnesses. God knew what He was doing when He said uh, to the nation of Israel that there needed to be more than one witness. Okay, The more witnesses there are, the more accurate information is. Right? The more witnesses there are, the more accurate the information is. You can sift through that information. Okay, and So Jesus today, He's going to say, and He's going to say basically, hey, I'm not the one that's testifying to myself being the Messiah. There are many other things that do, and we're going to look at those things. And it's really cool. Uh, let's look at the. Let's read the whole thing, and then we'll come back to verse one and two, and then we'll dive into it. Verse thirty-one says, "If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. 
But the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you might be saved. He was a lamp that was burning and shining, uh, and you were willing to rejoice for a little while in his light. But the testimony which I give is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor have you seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who he sent. You search the scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me, that you will have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. And I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If any other comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from another, and you do not seek the glory of the one uh, that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses. In him you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for, the, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my word? All right, let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you and thank you for this day you've given to us. And thank you for all you've done for us. And I just pray that as we look at your word, that you'd encourage or convict us as needed. Help us to see uh, just the backing that Jesus has um, in his witnesses. And I just pray that we would not be those who are seeking glory for ourselves, but we'd be seeking glory for their God. Um, we love you and pray all this through Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you look at verse 31, before we dive into the four testimonies, verse 31 says, If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, is Jesus saying that his words are not true? No, he's not saying his words are not true. He's referencing Deuteronomy 19.15 and other passages in the Old Testament where it says your testimony cannot come up with one man. Your witness uh, with only one person witnessing against you doesn't count unless there's multiple witnesses. So the, the thing I want you to remember as we go into this whole section is that, the, remember he's talking to Jews, and remember that um, he had the healing at Bethesda. Who did he heal? We don't know his name, but the lame man or the paralytic or the guy who couldn't walk or whatever. He healed that guy at the pool of Bethesda, and basically the Jews, Jewish leaders come up to him and they say, hey, you know, you can't do that. And they get mad at him, and then he re- replies to them, and he answers them, and he talks about the two resurrections. He talks about, um, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but uh, verse 24, all who believe in him will have life. And then he also takes, talks about the great white throne judgment a little bit. Um, and then here, he's still talking to those same people. Okay, and those Jewish leaders, they, do you think they know the Old Testament? Yes, they do. And so they, they understand the laws in the Old Testament, and so they would understand this law as well. And so Jesus says, hey, if, I, if I'm the only witness for myself, then my witness is not true. Okay, that's what he says in verse 31. And there are many, okay, and there were many, and if you go to that, I think it's Acts, but Galileo, he was a, he was a Pharisee or something, but anyway, he said there were a lot of people who rose up and said that they were the Messiah, and they were the only ones saying it, and they kind of, as he put it, kind of petered out, and then they, were, they came to nothing. But Jesus didn't do that. And he had the testimony of multiple people. And that's what he's going to say here. Look at verse 32. He says, There's another who testifies about me, and I know the testimony which uh, he gives is 
about me is true. And then he goes on, and there's four testimonies we're going to look at, or four witnesses of Jesus. The first witness is John the Baptist. This is witness number one. Okay, witness number one is John the Baptist. Uh, first he calls JTB. I call John the Baptist JTB. But he calls him to the witness stand. He says, John is my witness. We know this from uh, several, several weeks ago, right? Uh, this is John 1, which we went over a long time ago, I know. But John 1, 6 through 8. This is at the beginning of when John starts writing his book. He says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light. Who's the light? Jesus. So he came to witness about Jesus. Okay, So he came to witness about the light so that all might believe through him or through the light. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. He's witness number one. He's witness number one. Look at verse 33. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. So Jesus is saying, I'm not the only one that's saying I'm the Messiah. John says I'm the Messiah too. John is testifying about me, and you sent to him. And we saw that too in John uh, 1, that they sent for John and said, John, who are you? And remember, he said, are you the prophet? No. Are you the Messiah? No. Are you this? No. And are you Elijah? No. And John says, no, I'm the one that's paving the way for the Messiah to come. I'm the light bearer. So look at it. It ties in really well with verse 34 and 35. It says, But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. Jesus is saying, hey, and, and this goes along with the verses coming up. But he's saying, I don't even need a testimony of John because I have three other testimonies that are more powerful than John. But John was a testimony so you guys might believe. He was a witness because he's man for man to believe. He was the way paver, again, so that all might believe. Okay, And that's, that's the, that was the goal of John the Baptist coming. And then look at verse 35. It says, He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a little while in his light, or for a while in his light. And so that's kind of an interesting thing because, um, you know, the, the Jews, at the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, they kind of, he was kind of popular and they kind of liked him, right? And he, he kind of had this big following, and even the Jewish, like, religious leaders and stuff, they weren't necessarily against him right off. And they kind of rejoiced in his light for a little while. But then when Jesus comes on the scene and John transfers, we saw it in John chapter 1 again. I think it's John chapter 1, but yeah, John chapter 1. John transfers his uh, messiahship, not his messiahship, but the message to Christ. Like he places it on Christ. He's like, hey, I'm talking about a messiah coming. And then he sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then all of a sudden, the Jewish leaders and a lot of other people kind of start like, no, no, that's not right. And from that point on, we saw John, uh, Jesus doing some miracles and throwing people out of the temple. And you kind of start pe- seeing people get angry and start hating Jesus. And so for a little while, they did like the, the message of John, the Baptist. But then when Jesus was proclaimed as a Messiah, they didn't accept Jesus as a Messiah. And it's just kind of like, we're going to look at it later on, but they're looking in the Scriptures for eternal life, it says, but they're rejecting Jesus, and He is life. And so it's this thing of like, they're rejecting Jesus. That's who he is. They're rejecting the testimony of John. They're rejecting the testimony of Jesus. And they're going to reject the testimony of the other ones as well. And that's what we're going to look at witness number two. Okay, witness number two. We have a chosen, uh, chosen picture for you guys up there. Okay, number two, witness is the works. If you want to write it down, okay, witness number two could be the works or the people he's talking to. Okay, look at it in verse 36 and we'll talk about it. It says, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. 
For the works which the Father has given to me to accomplish is the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. You guys have all heard actions speak louder than words, right? Yeah. Jesus' actions spoke louder than his words. That's what he's saying. Okay, he's saying, my actions speak louder than my words. Why do they speak so loud? Okay, for us, we're relying on the testimony of people who wrote down his works, correct? But those people that he's talking to right there, had they seen his works? Yeah, they had. And they just saw him heal a paralytic of 40 or 38 years. Okay, so they're directly seeing the works that he's doing. And the works that he's doing are like no other works of anyone else. Look at this. Uh, this is John uh, 15, 24. Okay, I don't have it up on the board for you, so you just have to li- listen to it or write down the scripture reference. But it says, and this is, uh, we'll look at this later on in John chapter 15. But it says, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen me and hated me and my father as well. I like that because Jesus says, I've done the works which nobody else has done. And there are several things that you can take that to be. First off, were there other miracle workers? And have there ever ever been other miracle workers or at least some uh, people who have faked miracle workers or things like that? Yes. yes, there have been. Okay, but Jesus' works are different than all the others. Okay? That's why it's important when John's going through these these seven signs. You guys remember how there's seven signs? Eight if you include the resurrection. When he's going through these, he's picking out ones that are particularly important, like the last one. And the last one, he healed a paralytic for 38 years, which means nobody else could heal him. Right? Nobody else could do that. The other one, uh, when he healed the royal official's son. Who remembers what was important about that one? It was not a direct one. Yeah. Like, he just said, go, your son's healed, and he was healed. He wasn't there. Nobody else could do that. That's why John's listing these signs in the way he is, because no one else can do the stuff that, John, that Jesus is doing. And so even though there might have been other people who had healed people or other people who had... You know, doctors heal people, right? But it's not the same. They're not the same as Jesus. Okay, but there are other works. Okay, there are other works, I think. Okay, not only like his miracles, okay, but what about his righteousness? Was anybody ever righteous the way Jesus was? Did that righteousness speak of who Jesus is? So when those people, those Jewish leaders around him and those other people around him, when they see his perfection, is that a testimony to who he is? Okay. It is. So his perfection is a testimony, and it's works, okay? They're, his righteousness. Um, another thing that I'm going to mention and not talk about, because we're going to talk about it at the last witness, is prophecy. His works fulfilled prophecy. Okay, and again, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But the number two witness is his works or the people around him that visually saw his works. So first, John the Baptist came. He's the way, favor, and the light, and he testified, and he witnessed that Jesus was the Messiah. Then Jesus came along and performed works. And Jesus' works testified about who he was as Messiah. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, witness number three. The Father. Witness number three is the Father. And this one's interesting because sometimes, or a lot of times when you're talking about witnesses or testimonies, the ultimate authority and like the judge and the guy that's like the hierarchy is usually not the witness of something that happens. Does that make sense? So like in a courtroom, usually the judge is not a witness. Well, it can't be in ours in, in, in the U.S. But usually it's not the person in authority. I have an example of this. Um, so I, I, this is when I was a little kid. Okay? And I was hanging out with some people, with some other little kids, mostly cousins and family and stuff like that. 
and we have one crazy cousin. Okay, I've probably talked about him before. Okay, but we were, I wasn't, but some of my other brothers and uh, I think cousins were sitting in the back of an SUV kind of like this, okay? And my crazy cousin, he's walking around with a BB gun, okay? And this is, this is a negative story. Don't ever try this. Okay, but they pulled down that uh, little hatch or whatever, and they were like looking through the, the glass. I don't know. We were little kids, so what, what are they doing? They're just looking through the glass. I don't know what, what they're doing, but he was walking around with his little BB gun, and I was standing off to the, like the right side of that car, and I was just standing there. I don't know what I was doing, but he pulls up and he shoots the window, okay, which is terrible, right? Because he could break the window. He could have you know, if it's powerful enough, gone through the window, could hurt some, say somebody in the eye, he could have missed and hit their leg, whatever. It's a terrible thing. So he got in a bunch of trouble. His mom wasn't there, though. Uh, it was our grandma that was there. So he got in a bunch of trouble from our grandma. Well, two or three days pass, and his mom calls a courtroom meeting. Okay? She's like, we're going to have, we're going to hold court. So, of course, you know, my mom comes and drops us off. The other mom comes, whatever. We're all there. We're sitting in chairs like this, and She's the, you know, what do you call it? The defendant, right? She, or whatever. She's the, pro, I don't know, whatever. Whatever it is. She's up there and she says, all right, I think that Cody, oh, I wasn't supposed to say his name. Sorry, Cody. <laughs> I think that Cody is innocent. I think that he's innocent and I'm going to prove why. And so we're all sitting there. She's like, did, did all of you see it happen? And we're all like, yeah, we're eyewitnesses. Like, we directly saw him walk up and shoot the car. Like, there's literally no case here. And so she's like, okay, well, here's the deal. I think that you guys could have seen it the wrong way. Okay, remember, she wasn't there. Okay, she wasn't there. So she brings out a broom. Okay, she brings, I should have brought a broom. But she brings out a broom. Okay, and she's like, all right, guys, does it look like I'm pointing at the car? And we're all like, no? And she's like, okay, what if I back up? And we're like, no, it doesn't look like you're pointing at the car. She's like, well, if you have the right angle, it could look like I'm pointing at the car. And then she backed up and she's like, it could have ricocheted. And we're all like, I don't think so. And so the courtroom, it didn't really work too well. But the reason I bring that up is because she was the ultimate authority over that kid, right? She was the one making decision, carrying out the punishment, but she wasn't an eyewitness. Okay, if she had been an eyewitness, the case would have been closed. Right? Okay. Jesus is now calling the Father, the ultimate authority, the ultimate judge, the ultimate over everything as his witness, which is a really, really big deal. He's basically saying case is closed. God is my witness. Okay? It's a big deal that he's calling God the Father's witness. Look at it in verse 37. He said, The Father who sent me has testified of me that you neither heard his voice at any time nor have you seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, and you do not believe in, uh, him who he sent. Who's the one that God sent? He just said it in verse 37. Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. And they don't believe Jesus the Messiah, so they don't believe God the Father. Um, and so at this point, these guys that he's talking to are, have not believed in him. As a whole, the Jewish leaders had not believed in him. They're rejecting him. Okay, and he basically just saying you're rejecting the Father too. Because the Father is the one that sent me. I, this is not in John, but John speaks about it a little bit. This is the... Uh, so there's a lot of things that the Father testifies with the Son on. Right? And we've seen it before. Like Jesus' works are the same works as the Father. Therefore, the Father's testimony is the same as the Son's testimony. God is testifying in that way. But 
this is a very, uh, I don't know, strong testimony from God the Father to the Son. Okay, this is when he gets baptized. This is in Matthew chapter 3. It says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John, that's John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him and said, Permit me at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove on him. And behold, a voice came out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Right there is a very verbal and very direct um, testimony or witness of the Father that the Son is the Messiah. And like I said before, this is a big deal. Okay, He calls John the Baptist to the stand. And that's kind of a big deal, right? Because he's kind of a, you know, a big prophet or whatever. But like then he calls God the Father to the stand, and it's like, okay, like that's a really big deal. If God is the, t- if God really is a witness that Jesus is a Messiah, there is no doubt. Like John the Baptist can make a mistake; he's human; he could lie. He could, but God never lies. God never makes a mistake. So if God is testifying that Jesus is the Messiah, that's a big, big deal. Okay, witness number four, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on this one. Okay, but witness number four is the scriptures. Or the word, um, you could also say Moses and the prophets. Okay, there are a lot of ways you could say this. I put the word up here as the um, as the witness. So you can put it however you want, whatever makes more sense to you as we go through it. This is in verse thirty-nine through forty-six. We're going to take this kind of a piece by piece here. But look at verse thirty-nine. It says, "You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life." Now, is eternal life in the scriptures? Do they have eternal life in the scriptures? Okay, why not? Or why? Because they rejected God. Okay. Because the Messiah hadn't come yet. Well, they kind of had eternal life because if they believe the words of the scriptures and then, and then either die before Jesus came or believe Jesus when he came, they'd have eternal life. Exactly. So you could have eternal life in the, old, in the Old Testament era, right? We all know that, right? You believe in the coming Messiah. Okay, so why does he say that you search the scriptures and think that you have eternal life in them? Okay, look at, look at the next verse. Go ahead. Yeah, because they, they don't believe in the person. Exactly, look at it. They, they might believe in the Scriptures, but then they wrongly interpret it to not make it about Jesus. Look at the end of verse 39. Okay, Well, let's start with 39. You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And you can have eternal life through the Scriptures, but look at it. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. So he's saying, yeah, there, there is eternal life in the Scriptures. In the Old Testament and New Testament, have eternal life through them because they talk about the Messiah. But if you reject the Messiah, the Scriptures don't have anything for you. Okay? Does that make sense? It's, so he's saying, hey, listen, the Scriptures are talking about me. The Scriptures, and he goes on to say it more directly, but the Scriptures are my witness. They are the ones that are telling you that I am the Messiah. Okay, this is Luke uh, 24, 22, 22-27. Um, he's actually talking to the disciples here after the resurrection. But he says, But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning, they did not find his body, and they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said to them, He is alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found just as exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. 
And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things to enter into his glory? Then, this is really important, look at this, then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So Jesus knew that the scriptures testified to him and he even explained after his resurrection everything that related to him in the scriptures. So he explained prophecies from prophets, from Moses, all the things um, that the scriptures said about him, which I think is cool. I'm just now thinking about this, but like, you know, the apostles like Paul and Peter and those guys, they quote the Old Testament a lot. Some of those things Jesus might have explained to them at this time, even. You know, like, hey, you know in Psalm 110, uh, 1, when Jesus says the Messiah is going to be his, his Lord and his descendant at the same time, that's, that's me. Oh, man. You know, and he just explained things to them. Um, so, what is the story? You guys all know this, but what is the story of the Bible? In one word, what is that? She said, perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. What In one word, what is that? Gospel. Gospel is a good word for but reconciliation is the word I'm looking for. Reconciliation means God bringing people back to himself. God bringing, you know, reconcile. If me and Simeon have a big fight, hey, and we're really against each other and we hate each other because he stole my shoes or something. <laughs> yeah, and so then... If we get back together, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, man. You can have my shoes. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry for stealing your shoes, bro. That's called reconciliation, right? That's reconciling. So God is reconciling the world back to himself. Jesus is the reconciliation. So the whole word of God is Jesus. Okay, not, not in a weird way, but it's just all talking about him. Like it starts at Genesis 3. Well, it starts in the beginning. Creation, Jesus is there. But then at the sin, Adam and Eve, and then Genesis 3.15, the promise, that's Jesus. Jesus is coming to do that. So the whole thing is about Jesus, and that's what he's telling these guys. The Scriptures are my testimony. Okay, verse 43 and 44 are interesting. Let's read them. All the way, we'll go 41 all the way through 44. First and 41, Jesus says, I do not receive glory from men, okay, because he receives glory from the Father. Okay, so I do not receive glory from men, but I know you and that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe if you receive glory from another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? So this is interesting. 43 kind of reiterates the fact that they are rejecting Jesus, because he says, oh, listen, I'm coming in the Father's name. I have the Father as my witness. I have the Scriptures as my, as my witness. I have my works as my witness, and I have John as my witness, and I come to you and you reject me. Yet, somebody else later on is going to come down the road. They're going to claim to be Messiah, and the only testimony they're going to have is themselves, and you're going to believe them. Why? Because you're rejecting me. You're rejecting me. That's who you're rejecting. Okay? And life comes through Jesus, and they're rejecting Jesus. Does that make sense? Then look at verse 44. Jesus gives them like a rhetorical statement, and I think it's a big statement on pride. It goes along with verse 41, because 41, he says, I do not receive glory from men. He's saying, hey, I'm not, I don't receive glory from men. And what he's saying by that is, I receive glory from God. I'm seeking my Father's will. Okay? But then in 44, he tells them that what glory they're seeking. He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? He's saying, how can you even believe 
if all you're worried about and all you're seeking is your own glory, how can you even believe if you're just seeking your own glory? You don't care anything about what God wants. You don't care anything about God's glory. All you care about is yourself. Okay? And this goes kind of back to pride, I think. And humility is a key. Okay? We need humility in salvation and in sanctification, I think. Okay? Because if, if you're going to believe in Jesus for eternal life, you don't need eternal life if you get there by yourself. Right? And that's kind of where these guys are at. Right? These guys are saying, listen, we are good. And we get to heaven through the law. And we can get there by ourselves. Therefore, do they need a Messiah? No, they don't. So that's, and that's what he's saying. Hey, you guys, you guys are looking for glory of yourselves. You're not worried about God at all. And so you don't, you're, of course you're not going to believe. Why would you need to believe? You don't need to believe. Okay, we need humility. Uh, we also need humility and sanctification, right? We've got to be humble every day. We have to be humble in order to gain fellowship with God, right? We have to be humble um, to have fellowship with each other, too. I like this verse. It's James 4, 6. He's quoting Proverbs. He says, But he gives greater grace, therefore God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We need salvation, uh, humility and salvation, humility and sanctification. And uh, you guys could do a study on this sometime if you want. I haven't done it in depth, but... As you read through the Scriptures, especially if you read through them kind of quickly, you see a lot of cases in Scripture where God opposes the proud until they are humbled. Okay? God opposes the proud until they are humbled. And that happens one of two ways usually. Either God opposes the proud until they are humbled by God, or God opposes the proud until they humble themselves and they're glorified, if you will. Okay? There are several kings um, in like First, Second Kings, and they are prideful. God humiliates them, and then they turn to Him. Some never, like Pharaoh never turned to Him. Manasseh did. You know, and other ones uh, realized their pride before they even got punished and turned to Him. And so there's a lot of these cases of where God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's real life, and it's life for us too. Okay, so Jesus then tells them they're interpreting Scripture wrong because they say they believe in Moses. Look at verse 45. It says, do you not think that I'll, or sorry, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father? For the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set, their, set um, your hope. So, this is kind of interesting, okay? Because earlier on in this chapter, he says that all judgment has been given to him. So he is the ultimate judge. But the reason that he's saying this is that um, as he's judging, he's not going to be the witness against them, essentially. Moses is going to be the witness against them. And the reason he says that, one, because they're believing in Moses, essentially. They're saying the law that Moses gave us is what is right. And, and it is, but they're not seeing Christ and through it. And so he's saying when you get to that great white throne judgment, because he's talking to unbelievers here. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You can go back to that if you want to. But if you get to that great white throne judgment, and you come up and you remember it says the resurrection of those two um, of good deeds to life and those of evil deeds, a resurrection of death, or I can't remember if that's the exact words, but remember how we talked about how that was a hypothetical statement? If you are perfect, then yeah, you get life, but nobody is. Now he's saying, well, you're going to raise, we're going to raise everybody up. You're going to stand at the great white throne judgment, and I'm not going to testify against you. Moses is. The guy that you're setting your hope in is going to say, look, Jesus is the Messiah, and he's going to testify against you, and you're going to realize that your works are worthless, and they're not going to get you there. Okay, and so for verse 46, for if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, and he wrote about me. Saying you don't actually believe Moses. 
You don't actually believe Moses. You're utilizing and using the Scriptures for your own benefit and your own glory, which goes back to verse 44. You know, you're seeking the glory of yourself. You're seeking the glory of one another. You're seeking man's praise and not God's. Uh, and then verse 47, But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And that's really important because Jesus right there equates his words with Scripture. He says if you're not believing his writings, that's Moses' writings, that's the Old Testament. If you don't believe the Old Testament, how are you going to believe my words? He's equating his words with Scripture right there. Um, you know, as you, There's that fallacy that Jesus never claimed to be God. I think people that uh, say that have never studied John chapter 5. I mean, John chapter 5 is hugely amount of it is him claiming to be God. And we haven't even gotten to the, the statement, like the great I am statement in chapter 8 yet. Okay, but um, it's pretty good. So one thing I want to do before we close and get to our game is right here in this last section, he's saying the scriptures testify about him. So I wanted to look at five prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. There's tons of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, but I just want to look at these five really quick. The first one, I count this as one, is the genealogy prophecy. Okay, this is when in Genesis 3.15 it says the seed of woman would come to crush the head of Satan, or the serpent. Uh, and then Genesis 18, as well as Genesis 12, 15, and 22, I think, all say the seed of Abraham is going to be the blessing to all nations, okay, which is the Messiah. And, and did it come from seed of woman? Did Jesus come from seed of woman? Mm-hmm. Yes. Did he come from seed of Abraham? Mm-hmm. You guys can look at the beginning of Matthew and Luke for this genealogy prophecy fulfilled. Seed of Judah, Genesis chapter 49, as well as Micah 5, 2, both say that the scepter will not depart from Judah. Well, that's the exact word of Genesis 49, but Micah as well says that uh, in different words. And then Son of David, 2 Samuel 7, as well as many other places like Psalm 110, 1, say that uh, the Messiah will be the Son of David. Was he from the tribe of Judah, Jesus? Yes, for those of you who don't know, he was. He was from the tribe of Judah. That's important to know. Okay. Was he the Son of David? Yes, yes he was. He was the son of David. So that's a prophecy fulfilled. Okay, we talk about that one all the time, so it's easy. Here's another fun one. Okay, Zechariah 9.9. It says that he's going to come riding on a donkey. Did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to see it later on. I think it mentions that in John. I can't remember if it's John. I'm pretty sure it does, though. But he does. He comes riding on a donkey, and the prophecy is fulfilled. Another one. Okay, this is Hosea 11.1. It says, Out of Egypt I will call my son. This is, this is kind of cool. Because I think it's almost pro- uh, fulfilled twice. Did the nation of Israel come out of Egypt? Yes. And did Jesus come from the nation of Israel? Yes. But even more specific than that, did Jesus himself come out of Israel at any time? Yes. Simeon? Uh, after the wise men came and the, they were war- and basically, basically they fled to Egypt, and uh, then later they came out of Egypt back into Jerusalem. That's exactly right. So. Uh, we all know the story of when Jesus was a baby, um, or two years old, or how old he was, and the wise men come, and Herod comes through and kills everybody two and under, and uh, they flee to Egypt. And then, I think it's Matthew that says when they come back, he says, uh, therefore the scripture was fulfilled, out of Egypt I call my son. So we know this prophecy is fulfilled. Uh, this is Psalm 69, 9. The ju- reason I put this one in here is we just looked at it. This is fulfilled. John says it was fulfilled. Uh, John chapter, when was that? John chapter 4 or 3. But anyway, whichever one it was, you can go look at it. But it says, zeal for his, the Messiah will have zeal for his father's house. And then in John it says, this prophecy was fulfilled. They, the disciples recognized it later on. Okay, so this is a prophecy that was fulfilled. Uh, 
can't remember if it's fourth or fifth. I lost track. But this is Psalm 1101, which is one that um, I've quoted already a couple times today. But this is a weird one. Okay, I'm actually going to look it up. I didn't have it. I didn't have plan on looking it up because the wording's really weird on it. But basically, David is saying that the Messiah is going to be his son, and his son is going to be his Lord. It says, "The Lord says to my Lord," and those two words for Lord are different uh, words. Uh, but it says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And later on, Jesus uses this, and He asks that He quizzes some of the Jewish leaders to say, How can um, the Messiah's, their David's descendant, be His Lord, or His Master, or His God? And uh, it's talking about the Messiah. And David's talking about the Messiah there, so it's really cool. So those are five, I think that's all, yeah. Yeah, those are five uh, prophecies. There's tons more. You guys can look them up. Uh, but for our impact today, number one, our faith has grounds. Okay, Jesus wasn't some guy that came and proclaimed himself and nobody else testified about him. Okay, We have the scriptures, which if you want to know if the scriptures are accurate, go to, I reference it all the time, but the case for Christ, go read that book. The scriptures have grounds. Okay, But we have the witness of the scriptures, we have the witness of God, John the Baptist, and the witness of his works and what he did, which is like no other. Again, a lot of that... Uh, Lee Strobel dives into in the case for Christ. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, you can go to uh, listen or read that book. And the other thing, kind of an off application, we don't want to be a glory seekers, okay? Because when he when Jesus is talking to these guys, he's like, hey, you guys are seeking the glory of your of yourselves, and basically it's blinding them to see that he's not the Messiah because they're seeking glory for themselves. They're too prideful, All right? So we don't want to be prideful. We want to be those of humility who seek the glory of God in everything that we do. We talked about that like two weeks ago, reflecting glory from ourselves to God or from ourselves to others. And so that's something good that we can remember as well. But uh, as we go throughout this week, um, I think it's important to look at John chapter 5 and just see how much he claims to be God, his witnesses that he claims, um, the resurrections, the two resurrections he talks about. And so these things are all important. They're all uh, they're kind of theology-ish. That's not a real word. but They're kind of theology-ish, but they're important. And they're important things to know and understand so we can be more confident in our faith. Okay? Alright, let's pray. Thanks for joining us for True to the Bible Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this lesson. If you have any questions about this lesson or any of the other True to the Bible Podcasts, don't hesitate to contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope that you join us for our next lesson.